Welcome to Pilgrim Lost. Come walk with us while we explore life in hopeful motion. Okay, this is, um, you know, we're just jumping into this thing. I just I just came off a walking training workout and I just ran inside. It's middle of the afternoon. Uh, I got to take my kid to his lifeguarding job here in an hour. And um, I'm going kayaking this afternoon. Yet my, my guest today, it's almost midnight where he is because uh, he is streaming in from Holland having just got off the Camino de Santiago, Bradley Swope. Brad hey. Swope. Hello, Brad. How are you? I'm well, Tony. It's really good to see you. It's been, uh, it's been a month since I've, I've seen your face, your smiling face. Yeah. So um, just really quickly, Brad is a scholar and a professor. He's a doctoral candidate, doctor. Doctor. Doctor, he's got his doctorate. Um, he's uh, married to beautiful Catherine. His four amazing kids. Uh, he is also a um, clergyman from the great state of California. And uh, you have just completed walking the Portuguese coastal route, literally in the last few days. You just wrapped up, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Just so got first back last Friday. So first, just 10,000 foot, how was the experience? I've, I've never been on the Portuguese coastal route. Like, how was the experience? Yeah, maybe I'll just give a little bit of context. Uh, I don't think I'd be on the Camino except for our friendship. Huh. Uh, so I, I was, I've been asked a number of times, like, wh- where did the idea come from? And I think it's probably a five-year-old idea. I was supposed to go two years ago. And um, that got stolen by COVID. But I think it's probably five or six years in the making. And it's probably in conversations with you and a few others that the dream kind of was birthed. And I was going to connect it to a sabbatical. Uh, I've privileged to have a 12-week sabbatical this summer. I was Again, that was supposed to be two years ago. And so... Um, I really am grateful that I had the opportunity to schedule it again, even two years later and uh, to do the, the uh, Portuguese route. So uh, 10,000 feet. Uh, I found Portugal and Spain to be magical. Uh, I, I don't know what to tell you, except for uh, the people were a delight. There were these amazing surprises. Like I just happened to be places when there were major festivals going on. Uh, there was the festival of St. John the Baptist on the Thursday night, uh, June 23rd every year. Uh, the Thursday night before I began to walk. Uh, the whole city is now filled with the smell of smoked sardines and uh, plastic toys. They have these plastic hammers and they hit each other with these plastic hammers as some type of blessing. And of course, I had no idea what was going on and a restaurant owner just laid before me the whole story and the t- he gave me course after course, uh, just a delightful way to start the Camino. So I don't know, uh, that was the beginning of my Camino and Portugal uh, was a delight, Spain was a delight and this was the coastal route. So um, there's a coastal route, there's a, uh, a route that goes in, in the interior and there's also a seaside route. 
And the coastal route kind of weaves between the coast and up into these hills and over kind of these lovely hills. The seaside route literally walks on a boardwalk. And uh, so uh, I only did one or two parts of the seaside walk. Most of it was the coastal route and it was just pure delight. So six days in Portugal, six days of Spain, you cross an estuary by boat to continue the walk. It's just a delight. So you started in Porto? Porto. So it's just about, it's a little shy of 300 kilometers from Porto. And now because I've been in Europe for almost a month, I now think of kilometers instead of miles. So you're you're so international. Yeah, no, I just, well, you have to translate to everything in your head. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a delightful walk. Um, Okay. So I want to start by hearing, uh, what's what's it like to walk into santiago in a holy year because i've never experienced that uh well i have nothing to compare it to so i wouldn't be able to tell you what a non-holy year is like i will tell you that the city was filled with pilgrims uh we went to the evening mass and uh it was jam-packed standing room only and of course, completely in Spanish. But if you have any sense of the Catholic liturgy, you have a sense of what's going on. Um, I found it, the mass itself to be both really um, beautiful and also one, wonderfully ordinary. Um, like the priest had obviously done this 10,000 times and uh, at one point turned to his, his other priest and made a joke and like it was because I was very close and there was something beautiful about it, both being routine and holy at the same time. And, you know, there's lots of pilgrims there, some for spiritual reasons, some for non-spiritual reasons. Right. But I think many people are there and they're touched in that moment. I think it's a it's a really beautiful, I dare I say, holy moment for everybody in the room, regardless of their religious views. Um, any Any moments of magic or particularly unexpected inspiration during your time actually in Santiago? Well, no, I'll tell you that uh, because I've had so many people, well, uh, I'll say this. I came into the both the sabbatical and the walk, and I really tried not to set, um, like I didn't need to have epiphanies. Mm-hmm. Um I I didn't want to front load it with a bunch of expectation. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be what it was supposed to be. And I, you know, um, f- from my vantage point, if this is something uh, that God had kind of provided for me, then I wanted, I just wanted to let it be what, what God wanted to do in my life. Hmm. And it was a really simple time. It was a really sweet time. And I, I, um, I think you would probably understand this. It takes a few days to stop thinking about routes and kilometers and blisters and what time am I going to leave? And uh, I think it takes four or five days before quiet kind of settles on you. Mm -hmm. Just a really beautiful. And I don't know that I've ever experienced such a simplicity, such a simple and deep contentment. Uh, like the cares of the world fall away and you just have a something simple ahead of you, a, a long walk, a long, quiet walk. 
And I think too, you, you know, you are prepared with music and podcasts and then you find you, you don't need very much. Uh, you, you're just prepared to walk uh, and the beautiful simplicity of it. And you're alone with your thoughts, but sometimes you're finding you're not having deep thoughts. You're just quiet. And there's something really beautiful about that and settling. It's a, it's a deeply satisfying experience, at least in my view. Um, I'm, I want to ask this just for the audience that, you know, you're a, you're a scholar, you're, you're a student of religious history and global historical spirituality and what it means to be human and sort of tap into that part of who we are. Uh, any, any observations about why this particular experience is so meaningful and can you, I don't know if you can place it inside its historical context at all. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to put too much on you, but just yeah. sort of comment on, on what it is and why, why it is. Uh, a, a number of things come to mind, I guess. But the first thing I'll say this is, uh, I think you're the one that really explained to me that one, one of the beautiful parts of the Camino is the pilgrims that you pilgrim with. Mm -hmm. And you're not, you're not necessarily walking for four hours, even one hour, but you're passing beginning, middle, and leapfrogging, maybe stop for a coffee, you start conversations the evening, sometimes you do dinners with them. What really struck me, I, uh, I started a real friendship with a couple from Ireland and a couple from Australia. And uh, one of the things that really struck me was how similar the problems, the hungers, the aches, um, even the kind of the global sense of our, our anxiety. It's kind of like a glow, like it's so strange to be talking to people from other cultures and yet completely relate on the kinds of anxieties we've felt over the last two years and five years. And of course, you know, the, the world, um, I'm not a big fan of American exceptionalism, but the world does pay attention to America in a way that we don't pay attention to anybody else. Uh, and we, our anxiety leaks onto the world. Um, and a really, um, anyhow, so, just really wonderfully deep conversations, sometimes spiritual, sometimes about God, sometimes about family, sometimes about hurt, pain, worry, oftentimes about your children. Um, so they were, it was, it, it was, you develop this community along the way that's really quite beautiful. And then you get some names and phone numbers and you don't know if it'll linger afterwards, but for that time, it's a really beautiful connection because, uh, you've you've kind of undertaken the same thing together you kind of feel you're feeling the same feelings the same quiet settling on you i don't know it's quite beautiful and of course you know that after about after about seven or eight days everybody's managing some type of injury and has some type of cure for for that and you hear about a thousand different you know advice about how to handle those blisters um so yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's the okay. first thing that came to mind was just the, the beautiful community. Um, I guess it got me by surprise a little bit uh, that, that you have this camaraderie and community and understanding and a sharing, and then you open up your lives in really interesting ways. So that's beautiful. Uh, did, I, did I, was anywhere close to? Sure. To the, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
So here's a question I, I normally would not ask, but because um, it really puts you on the spot, but I trust you and the agility of your mind, hopefully. Uh, you know, you're just, you know, you've been off now for a handful of days. You're back with your family and, and your Dutch family there in Holland spending time. Do you have any sense of like a thread and overarching theme as you look, as you now look back can look backwards on it and go, yeah, I think there's this thing that kept coming up, this thing that my soul wanted to do that I didn't even know it wanted to do, or this, this, this time, I think, oh, when I look back, I'll remember that was the time that I dot, dot, dot. He's pondering. Um, I guess, well, I'll, I'll just talk and see if I come more, somewhere close. The day after we went, we finished the Camino, uh, two of us went and got on a bus. We thought a rest day, let's go on a bus and get down to the Finisterre, go to the sea. And, you know, you're, you get on this bus at nine o'clock and you're back by 6.30. And it was torturous because uh, you were suddenly not a pilgrim, you were a tourist. Yeah, and it was it was terrible, and uh, I couldn't wait to get off the bus, because um, I felt at home on the Camino in a strange way, and yeah. I felt like I belonged in a strange way. And a tourist visits places, and he buys baubles, and he kind of uses, consumes, and then leaves. And I, I, uh, I hope to, I don't know that sense of belonging to something was really beautiful to me that I hope stays with me. And I think, you know, that the, the Camino is contagious and it's also addictive. So, you know, you're already thinking, how can I get back here next year? How can I, do I do the Norte, the Primitivo? Do I try the Francais, the Anglais? So, uh, yeah, I guess that that's the thing that really struck me was like, I, I loved belonging and feeling like I belonged on the trail and not, not as a tourist. Okay. Then let me, let me ask this. Uh, since I have, I, I know much of your backstory, the vast majority of rooms you walk into, you're the pastor, you're the professor, you're the scholar were you able to experience sort of a mutuality that maybe you do, can't can't find so easily back home where your roles are sort of pre or they're sort of baked into the scene were you able to experience um even even the joy of anonymity maybe yeah yeah actually i over the last couple of years i've learned more and more what an introvert i am and mm -hmm. um um uh, I was quite happy to walk and be anonymous and not talk. I did find after six or seven days that I, I would really need some conversation in the evening. Um, that was important to me. Uh, and yes, I don't think people, um, uh, you know, when you do end up talking to people, I, I don't know if you get uh, any street cred for being a priest on the way. Um, but I will I will say so it's a yes and no because the other thing I found was um, the just wonderfully delightful conversations with people of different faiths and denominations about faith 
hmm. together. Um, and uh, again, these these number of couples. Um, boy, I told I I, uh, I heard a lot of pain in their faith experience that that filled me with great sadness. Uh, I heard a lot of angst about the kind of the death of uh, Christianity, the church, and Christendom um, in their countries. Um, uh, about the next generation really not picking up the faith. Uh, there was lots of folks who were talking about that. Um, and that, those were really interesting conversations to think mm -hmm. about. Uh, you know, I think we're seeing something really change in the West regarding religion. Uh, and we don't know exactly what a post-Christendom world looks like. Uh, but we're all locked in it. And uh, those conversations were really interesting to me. Not that I had okay. the answers, but uh, they were interesting conversations. I'm I'm curious if our community listening in is hearing what I'm hearing a little bit, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna push you a little bit. Yeah, I asked you about mutuality, and you gave me a very priestly answer. You know, uh, these other people who have these struggles, these other people that I listen to them talk about their disillusionment yeah. and. I was really hoping that you had a chance to maybe to to be on the other side of the confessional, so to speak, uh, or to share to share the confessional experience. And yeah, well, uh, what I'll tell you is the first part of my answer did try to get there. Maybe I didn't get there okay. as much. Uh, but yes, that would be true for sure. Uh, that it was something that we did together and there was a giving and receiving. But I did find that uh, um, that once they found I was a priest, they immediately, uh, oftentimes, if there was any depth to the relationship, they wanted to talk about it. Hmm. Um, so uh, in that sense, they wanted my perspective on it. They wanted to see what I was seeing. So... Um, I, I think that probably, I probably had seven or eight conversations with different people in that way. Like they wanted to talk about how I saw what was changing in their worlds. Um, so maybe I did, maybe, maybe my priestly role did lock me in, in some ways to, uh, in some ways making me the expert. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if perhaps perhaps now remember my my road was only two weeks 12 days with a rest day and you know i don't know what the 30-day experience is like and i don't know if there's a, a deep a, a depth that you don't experience in 12 days um but uh it could be that there would have been more of that but i guess that's the best answer i can give you to that yeah i wasn't suggesting in any level that your yeah. pilgrimage was you know a, a b minus or you know something no. like i think every pilgrimage is a quality all its own and we don't it's not about comparing one to the other it's just about illuminating the beauty of each of each experience wanting to get into it um you know you've got you have this unique situation where because you've been in the trenches for so many years that you were sort of bestowed what what is called a sabbatical an extended paid go refresh your soul. Like you give, you give out so much through your teaching and through mm. your priestly work and your 
your clergy work and all these different things that you were given the six months and a very high priority of yours that I've known for years has been when this sabbatical comes, part of it's going to be spent walking the Camino. Can you just speak to that, the gift of that sort yeah. of break and the privilege in it? And yeah, there's, and it's both, it's both a gift and a privilege and a privilege in both senses, both like you're receiving something, but you also realize that a lot of people don't get it. And I don't, I don't know what to say about that, except for I, as I, I get 12 weeks and uh, 12 weeks, uh, as I'm on this 12 week sabbatical, I wish everybody could have it. Hmm. Uh, I did meet a woman that was a college professor and she got a year and um, she got a year sabbatical. And, and I don't, I don't know. Everybody I know that gets a sabbatical said, did you get 12? Yes. Did you, did you ask for more? Like, there's something about the soul that really needs rest. And one of the things that really did settle on me was as a, a deep, uh, I, one of the things I was thinking a lot about is wanting to, to deepen a sense of gratitude, of contentment and simplicity. And um, you get off the hamster wheel and uh, you slow down and you don't have to produce or perform it's it's amazing it's amazing not to have to pr produce or perform and it, it makes you more aware when you are fronting like when you're introducing into conversation like you find yourself introducing some way of this is who i am and then you realize why am i doing that what what's the need of me to like you're you're more aware of uh, how how much of a game we all play with each other mm. um and you're you're more settled i think in your soul and your kind of your your personhood your identity a little bit more i don't know so the sabbatical sabbatical has been a gift and i, I and i would say that i wish everybody had it mm. i i uh if you can get it you should certainly try for it if you can get eight weeks <laughs> If you get four weeks, take four. If you, you know, that's the other thing too. As as Americans, I don't know how large your audience is largely American or not, but boy, I tell you, you, if if you get to Europe, you realize there's a, there are cultures out there that don't live to work but work to live, and they take rest and vacation and sabbatical a lot more seriously than we do, and we're not good at it. I mean, most of the people I know, if they take two weeks, it takes a week to settle down, and before they're the two weeks are over the last couple of days. They're already preparing for going back to work. And there's something about that four or five, six week period where you, the soul gets to really, and I would imagine that makes you more productive. Um, but we're not very good at it as Americans. You're in that, uh, that meaty middle season of life where you got two kids in college. You've got another one on their way. You got one who just graduated you know, you're working multiple jobs. I, your, your, your ability to produce has always stunned me, like the amount of stuff you're able to get done. And so you're burning the candle hard. You're shoveling coal into your furnace fast most of the time. In this sabbatical experience, partially including the Camino, are, are have you rethought the pace of life or how you want to bring some of these themes more consistently into your every day, not just into this privileged period? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a 12 week period. And I, I have decided for the first 10 weeks, I'm not asking big questions. 
Um, I'm not asking the, what do I go home with? Okay. What do I change? Uh, I'm, I'm just let, letting it be. And then the next two weeks, but I know that's a question I have to answer. And I, I, um, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I hope like, uh, there's something about walking. It's incredibly inefficient oh. in this, in the sense that, uh, you know, the first couple of days you're thinking, uh, I could either walk for four and a half hours or get in a taxi and I could do it in 20 minutes. So like in terms of time and efficiency and productivity and utility, like it doesn't fit in American society anywhere. Like there's no occasion to take a four hour walk in American society. And so I've been thinking, how, how do I bring this, how do I bring it back? And the other thing is, is most of the places we live aren't really set up for long walks. And, and like, I, I'm trying to think about how I'm going to, to not lose what I gained in these wonderful four to five hour walks. Um, how do I capture some essence of that? I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to, you know, that's one of the things we learn because we have the, again, the privilege of coming to Europe because my wife's Dutch every couple of years. And when you first come, you try to, whatever you experience this magic, you try to pull it back into your American context and you, you know, you fill your suitcase right. with it. And I mean, you pretty soon learn you can't, that magic was there. And like, that's, I also don't want to do that. Whatever was the magic that's specific to the Camino, um, but I do want to linger on questions like what lessons can I learn that can be applied? I, I can't reproduce the Camino back at home, but I do. There was something about the simplicity and contentment of it that I, uh, that I did want to apply. I'll give you one other quick thing too. Good. Um, that I've been thinking about. So there was a, there was a, a pretty large national study a couple of years ago. Uh, Duke, Notre Dame, Azusa Pacific partnered together, and they wanted to understand specifically about priest pastors, but they, they thought they could apply this in all professions. They want to understand longevity. So finding people that were able to stay for one, one time in their church, in their leadership position over long periods of time, was there a key ingredient a cross section of leaders would be true of? And they, they guessed it might be spiritual practice or continuing education, but they were wrong on both accounts. You know what they found? Did the person have a weekly hobby that they lost track of time in and was not connected in any way to the work? Those people tended to stay the longest in their jobs. Interesting. And yeah. I thought, okay, could I make it a habit to once a week take a nice long three or four hour i mean i don't know i don't know I, i'm still working on it i'm still thinking about all right it. well it's well good i'm glad i begged the question hopefully that thing's been stuck in there okay yeah. so let, here's a, here's a more practical question this last year you turned the double nickel the big 55 you're no spring chicken my friend no. and uh, you just walked 300 kilometers so uh you want to for maybe some of our middle-aged middle-aged folk in our community do you, do you want to tell a little bit about what you did to get ready to come just on a practical level yeah and i have one other thing to tell you too uh 
uh, I'll tell you the, the second thing first, and then I'll come back to your question. Uh, the airlines lock, lost my luggage. Oh, yeah. So, so I, I literally all, you know, you know how it is. You, you prepare for the Camino and you pack and repack a hundred times. Every item is carefully chosen, has a purpose, utility. You bring this, that, the other, right? You know, every item in your suitcase. And then you get there and it's lost. And it, it's not only lost, but I'm in a system that I'm not, you know, I'm in Portugal talking to Air France, trying to figure out where this bag is, when it's going to come. And uh, it took 10 days for the bag to catch me. So literally almost at the tail end. So I had to go reproduce really quickly enough stuff for two or three days um, just so I could walk. And, you know, I thought that was part of the magic of it, honestly. Like losing all the stuff and the attachment to the stuff and really just kind of embracing, I need socks, I need shoes, I need a shirt, I can wash the shirt in the sink. I can I can use Tony's methods of two socks and letting them dry out in my backpack as I walk, right? I, I, I don't need that much stuff. And I was so embarrassed when my, my bag arrived as to how much stuff I had. I was like, I can't believe how much stuff I brought. It was, anyhow, that, that's an aside. I'll just throw that just in. Just really there. quickly, if I could. Um, what a great word. You know, we so, you're right. Everybody gets their packing list and they, they whittle it down. And, you know, you lay it out on the dining room table, every item. And you... You put them in their little groups. You make sure you know exactly where they are in your bag and all this planning. And ultimately all that planning is just vanity. It's just, yeah. it's relying on the wrong things. Not saying we shouldn't do it, but, but not to put our hope in that. I, if I just have all the right things, I'll be okay. But just have all the right stuff. I'm going to complete this and it's going to be meaningful. And I'm, I'm not going to be needy or whatever. And ultimately it's just like you, like you went 10 of 12 days without your bag, you know, with yeah. whatever you could buy at the local, you know, five and dime, whatever they call them over there. Uh, the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> well, a little sporting, sporting good story. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I ended up the first couple of days thinking a lot about attachments uh, and false attachments and the things that I thought I needed. It was, a, it was, I thought it was a really important lesson for me. Hmm. Like uh, you just don't need very as much as you think you need. And we just gather the stuff and, now, I will tell you on the other side, interestingly enough, the things that I thought about losing were those precious items that had memories attached to them. And those things, uh, I was processing that as well. Like, it's all right. I'm allowed to feel strongly about certain things. But a lot of that stuff just was, it was fluff. Can you give an example of a meaningful thing? Yeah, I mean, I had a knife that I had bought with my brother-in-law in Northern Holland that uh, I'd brought specially because at some point he was going to join me and we were, we would have lovely lunch with, we'd go to the market and get a sausage and a cheese and some bread and we would slice it. And I thought about, we also got these lovely, lovely little cups in a, when we toured a, 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 a distillery in Scotland to share a little, little, a little nip of whatever we brought along and, and those were in my luggage as well. So it was it was sad to think they may be gone because they were it's an attachment to a relationship and a memory. Uh, so but so back the to the story's question. actually not told. So yeah, sorry. What's the question? Back to the question. So 
55 years old. Oh, yeah. Your body held up fairly well, even without yeah, your backpack and supplies. How did, um, how, how well did your body hold up and how, how did yeah. you prep? Yeah. So I, I kind of cheated in that, uh, I also put on the front of my sabbatical a climb of Mount Shasta in Northern California, uh, which is a 14,000 foot peak. And so I trained hard for that. And I figured that the training would, it wasn't the same kind of training. So I only had about two weeks, two and a half weeks after that to start taking walks. And you're the one that told me, hey, just go out and do three walks in a row, eight to 10 miles each day um, and see what happens and see how your body responds. So I got to tell you, I got off easy compared to almost everybody I know. I had no blisters. I had cranky knees after 10 miles every day, but I found this mystery uh, cream in Portugal that I could spread on my knees. I have no idea what it is and uh, it would take the pain away. So uh, my body held up pretty well, uh, but I was in pretty good shape too. And I'll tell you, that's the other thing uh, I do. I really relished getting back into really good shape and I, I try to figure out how to maintain that would be great. So. Yeah. Um, we found that any, any walk over 15 miles and you'd feel it the next day, but it was amazing to us that you could walk every day about 15 miles and your body would be ready for it. And yeah. like, I had never walked that much in my life. Never. And I, it'd be shocking to me that after 15 miles, your body would be like, yep, time to go walking again. You know, the 18 to twenties, I did a 22 one day. I really felt that the next day, but it's also amazing what the body can do. And I'll, I'll also just tell you, uh, there were some tough people on the Camino. I saw some war wounds with blisters and people muddling through. Uh, I, I was amazed. I was amazed at the condition of some people's feet. And they're still walking and smiling and whistling and uh, getting up the next day. So thanks for asking. My body held up pretty well. All right. Last topic. Um you know, the theme of this podcast is the inspiration of the Camino and other big pilgrimages, but also wanting to figure out how to, how to be a pilgrim in the everyday and in every part of life and how to bring these themes that seem so meaningful. And you've brought up multiple times the, so the gift of other people, the gift of relationships you experienced on the Camino and um, how much you cherish that, how much that's one of the things you're going to take home with you is the memory of that. And I just want to, I just want to, guess personally testify that uh in my personal pilgrimage brad you've been you've been one of the key guys like uh you're you're one of my fellow pilgrims you're one of the guys that i walk alongside and uh for people you guys don't know but uh brad lives in california i live in oregon but every saturday morning we get up early and we each make a pot of coffee and we go out on our front porch and we sit on um on facetime for two hours and we just talk about life and family and dreams and our studies and who's going to win the next NBA game and whatever. But that's just, that's a practice, a two hour practice once a week that Brad and I do because we, we want to really embrace this idea of intimate friendship, the sort of thing you, you experience when you walk four and a half hours a day side by side with people where you can also sit on FaceTime for two hours with someone who lives you know, 12, 12 hours away by car, but, um, in the modern world, you're just as far as a phone call. 
Um, I just thought I'd bring that just first of all, just confess it and thank you for being one of those people in my life, Bradley. And um, just to get your thoughts on that, that yeah. aspect of the human experience. Well, on those phone calls where we also usually have a really good cigar at the same time. Um, I wasn't going to mention that before. Yeah, <laughs> Early Saturday morning my, cigar. My, my, my church knows, of course, that these, these are my uh, wonderful vices. But you and I have talked about this before, that uh, the age group uh, suicide rate for um, specifically older men, older white men, because they're friendless and lonely, it's really high. I think it's an epidemic. I know a lot of guys that don't have any friends. Yeah. I've been actually working on that issue for four or five years now, thinking a lot about it. Uh, it's not natural. I don't give much to it. To it. I've, I've cheated that part of my life. So you are one of those people that uh, have been really important to me in drawing out that gift of friendship. But I'll say as well that, um, so I didn't do the whole walk alone. I did uh, uh, six days. Uh, a couple of days on the front end, six days of walking and then a rest day. And my brother-in-law from Holland, who's one of my dearest friends, joined me for the other half. And uh, it was interesting uh, because I, I did it alone and then I did it with somebody to compare the two experiences. And the first day or two was was kind of awkward. Uh, we felt like we had to talk and we had to walk beside each other the whole time. But after about a day and a half, we just realized everybody has to walk at their own pace and their own gait. And there was times, uh, actually for hours, we'd walk in silence next to each other, which was, I thought, really beautiful. Uh, I hadn't experienced that before. And he's one of my closest friends as well. He's an occasional friend because I don't see him very often, but he's a dear friend. Um, and it, it's these relationships, you, Peter, a few other people, it, it's making me want to try to figure out how to prioritize them in this next season of my life. How do I give myself to it? time, money, and energy, that the resources I have and attention for resources. Uh, how do I, how do I set up my life so that I really prioritize these relationships? Because at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're the, the things that really matter are those relationships. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, I would say that there's a deepening hunger for depth of relationship and the Camino only feeds that in some ways for me. Wonderful. Yeah. Brad, before I let you go, I know it's almost midnight there in Holland and you're, you're with your family. And so really appreciate you taking some time to hang out with me and with us. Anything you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to say? Well, I haven't showed you my t-shirt yet. And, uh, uh, he's the, wearing a Camino uh, t-shirt for those Camino, who are listening. If you're just listening, it's a Camino t-shirt. No, I mean, I, I think you would say this, I would say this. Um, for those people who think they can't do it, either financially or time or body-wise, I'd say blow those barriers down and make it real. Uh, I've had a number of people on Facebook respond like, oh, I wish I'm so envious. And you're like, don't be envious. Uh, just go figure it out. I'll, I'll, be, I'll help you. If you tell me what you need from me, I'll help you. I'll coach right. you a little bit. But... Um, that's yeah, something my, my mother-in-law died of COVID really quickly in the middle of the epidemic before we had vaccinations and any chance of that kind of stuff. And my wife and I, we walked away from that experience saying, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Yep. You can't predict it. You can't control it. And you can't protect yourself in some ways. So it's, 
that there are things that you should pursue now because you don't you you we don't know what tomorrow holds uh there's a wonderful latin saying deo valente uh it means god willing it comes out of the book of james and it was the christians early christians attempt to say they don't know what tomorrow holds hmm. and so um i would even say that to anybody that's even thinking about going on a pilgrimage such as this is you don't if you have the opportunity try to make it happen because it's a beautiful experience and no one's going to do it for you, but it's possible to do. So I guess that's what I'd say to people. And yours was five years in the planning and um, it's circumstances will never be perfect ever. So okay. stop waiting for the perfect, all the right toggles to be in place. They're not. It's one of those things you just say yes to and open your hands and open your hands to the fates, to the universe, to the divine to come and to and to give whatever gifts are being bestowed on that particular day. So um, Brad Swope, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for getting lost with us here at Pilgrim Lost. And to everyone in the community, thank you for all of your support, for the, all of our Patreon givers. Thank you so much. You make this possible. It's, it's, it doesn't cost nothing to keep a podcast going. And so we, um, we really appreciate your support. Visit us at pilgrimlost.com and we will see you all very soon. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.